The final thing which I hope shapes my perspective on the family the most, and that's I hope it's shaped by Scripture the most. Now, my opinions and views at age 44 have been forged by also reading hundreds of biographies of both saints and sinners that I've read. If you are, if you are a person you want to know how real life is, in different contexts, read biographies. Read biographies. Get out there and read some good books. And if you don't say, well, I don't like to read, uh, get yourself an Audible subscription and listen to audiobooks. Listen to audiobooks while you're walking, while you're exercising, while you're fishing. When your wife's talking to you, just turn on Audible and listen. <laughs> There's really no excuse for not taking advantage of all the things that are out there for us. <laughs> I didn't mean that to come out that connected like that, but... And then I've been, and then lastly, you know, I've been married for 24 years to one lady, and we've had five kids together. And uh, my marriage and children have been a sanctifying force in my life, because living with Valerie and living with the kids all these years has forced me to look at myself in the mirror sometimes and see my errors and see and see the mistakes I've made. Because nobody can bring the bad, the worst side out of you like your family can. You can really kind of let your hair down and. And they've been a sanctifying force in my life. And so, so these are the things that shape one's perspective of the family. And I, wouldn't be, I, I, would, I figure that's the way it is for everybody. Your context, your experience shapes the way you think about these things. We, we're all trying to be shaped by Scripture. Now, I want to give you these four things, Lord willing, for you to look at in Scripture. And I want to start with love. Do you really know what love is? Love is a, is a fabulous and wonderful thing, but oftentimes we are confused about what it is. Sometimes love is more sentimentality than it is biblical love. There's a sentimentality, an ooey-gooey, gushy kind of thing that you may see when you watch a Hallmark movie. You guys, anybody ever seen Hallmark movies, the Hallmark channel? You know, if there's a channel you're going to block at your house, block that one. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of sentimentality there. You know, these certain songs and movies and seasons that really cause us to feel strongly about some things. And sometimes those feelings, they're not really true feelings. They're artificial. They're artificial, even though they feel very strongly. So we want to look at Scripture and see what Scripture says about love. And remember, when we look at Scripture, this is, this is what God says. This is, this is God. Even though Paul has written it here in 1 Corinthians 13, this is God's word. Listen to what Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians. He's been giving them a bad time. He's been correcting them over and over again. In chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just an annoying noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains... And, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is the most needed thing. Love shapes the way you interact with people. Love shapes the way you interact with, way you interact with God. If he, Paul says, if I don't have love, then all of my other positive attributes are nullified. If I, possess, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here's what love, here's what, here's what we, we need love. Love gives us some, some value here, gives us some importance, gives us some, gives, puts us on the right track. So what is this thing called love? It's in, verses, it's in verse 4. And as you read this, I want you to think about 
Is this the way that you love? Because we say we love, right? Some, one of my Christian buddies back in Oklahoma, he would say, Hey, Terry, I love you in the Lord. And I was like, what? I heard that my whole life. I love you in the Lord. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Love you in the Lord. Does that mean you only love me because God's making you love me? You feel obligated to love me? Love you in the Lord. Now, we don't really see that kind of terminology in Scripture, but I think it was just because he was a macho man, I'm a macho man, and it's kind of weird for two, two dudes to say, hey, I love you. I love you. Now, I don't say I love, I don't tell people I love them, like wholesale. <laughs> but I got a couple friends, and I, when I talk to them on the phone, these are men, I talked to one of them last week, called him by accident on the way home. His name's Aaron Miller, and I told Siri, uh, I was trying, who, who are we trying to call, Matt? We're trying to call your mom? We're trying to call Valerie, and I said, call Valerie, and it called Aaron Miller. <laughs> and Matt saw my phone and said, Aaron Miller, who's she? <laughs> so anyway, I ended up talking to Aaron Miller. You know, he's a good buddy of mine, and we, we talked for a while, we chewed the fat, and when he got done, I said, I love you. You know what he said back to me? I love you too. I have, some, I have some close friends who I tell them that I love them because I really do love them. I really do care about them. And so we, but when we use the word love, when you say the word love, let's think about what it really means to say you love somebody because you might not be, you know, to quote that, uh, <laughs> that film, uh, what is it, The Princess Bride, you keep using that word, but I don't think you're, you know what it means or using it the wrong way. So here's what love is. Love is patient. Patient. Well, we could give a whole sermon there, couldn't we? Just kind of hunker down and just grind that word out. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Envy what? The gains of others? The beauty of others? The opportunities of others? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, a.k.a. it does not keep score. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is what love is. This is what real love really is, true love. As you look at Scripture, as you read this, this is exactly how God loves you. God loves you. And this is how we are supposed to love one another. If we say we love one another, this is what it means. But oftentimes what we do is we have this pseudo-love. We just say it because it's part of the, the vernacular of our time. And in Christianity sometimes, we just use Christianese. So really think about the words that we use, love. This is what love is. And Paul says, my entire ministry is nothing but a, a loud, irritating sound if I do not have love. Love is patient. I was working on this earlier in the week. And as I was writing down these words on paper, you know, to get them in my mind, kind of defining some of them. <laughs> just that morning, Valerie and I had had a little... A little uh, Marital disruption. 
in which I was guilty of. I'll read it to you. Verse 5. I was guilty of being rude. Rude. And when I worked my way through this, I started thinking about other people who I love, but who I have some hostility towards. And I was writing this out, and I thought, you know, I was feeling so bad. I was feeling bad about what. Like, Terry, you, you, you were a jerk to Valerie this morning. And then, there, then there's some other people in my life who, who, I, who I say I love, who I am keeping score against, who I am kind of embittered towards. And I did exactly what I think a lot of Christians do. I kind of doubled down and decided, I'm not, I'm, so what? <laughs> I just kind of fortified myself to keep on feeling that way. Because in order to change the way I was feeling, that means I just had to get on the phone or a text message and make a call or make a phone call and say to somebody, you know, I'm kind of ticked off at you. I'm upset with you. And I'm st- or, have you guys ever had this happen to you? You try to make up with somebody, let's say me and Jeff are going to make up, and Jeff says, yeah, I'm sorry, and I say, Jeff, I'm sorry. But you know, you're not really sorry. And if it's on the phone, and you live a long ways apart, it's easier to do, isn't it? But I thought, you know, I, I, did, tell them I, I did tell them I forgive them. I do tell them that I love them, but I'm still keeping score against them. Man, I wrestled with that all, all day. I, I texted Valerie and I said, I'm sorry for being rude to you this morning. And she's always so gracious and kind and loving to me. She said, I forgive you. And, you know, that, that relationship was restored. But this other thing that there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a geographical distance between me and this person, you know, that's still there. And I'm still trying to figure out how to feel about it. I'm still wrestling with my own stubborn resistance to obeying Scripture. Have you guys ever been there? This is what Scripture says. This is what I should do. And you wrestle with obeying it because it's difficult. If I was a perfect, wonderful Christian, I wouldn't be a problem, but I'm wrestling with these things. And in your love relationships with other people, I would, I, I would not be surprised if that's your experience too with people that you claim to love. People that we claim to love. So we have to know what love really is. And if we know what love really is, then we can be loving towards the people in our families, in our homes, in a better way. So now we need, we need a good role model. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We need a good role model. You guys remember back in the 90s when uh, Charles Barkley had the little Nike commercial where he said, I'm not a role model. He said, parents are role models, teachers are role models, but I am not a role model because, you know, he was kind of unseemly in his behavior. <laughs> we need the right role model. When Valerie and I got married, uh, I brought to the family a bunch of Louis L'Amour books, and you know she just kind of tolerated them. But then one day she sat down and she read a few Louis L'Amour books, and she came back and she said, I understand you perfectly. <laughs> You've been trying to be these guys your whole life. You need the right role models. Now this is a long reading of Scripture. I don't want to make too many comments because I want you to hear what God's Word says. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer... Let's write to Christian people. Let's establish this. 
You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must, no lo- must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, that, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, etc. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop the reading there. This is the role model. We should, this, he says, like Christ, like God, be imitators of God like a little child. Be imitators of God. Like little children will copy their fathers. I was talking to a guy not long ago, and he said, man, my family, all my kids put pepper on everything. Hits the table, pepper. And he said, and I don't know why they do that. And he said, my wife said, I'll tell you why they do that. Because every time something hits the table in front of you, first thing you do is grab the pepper and So the kids have no idea what food tastes like without pepper. I assure you, it can be okay. But kids just copy their parents. They just they imitate. And you and I, we have these two natures inside of us, the fallen nature and then the new nature. And we have to intentionally put off the old self and put on the new. You ever get a, you ever get a, new, a new set of clothes, a new pair of pants, a new shirt, new shoes? And you're so excited to take off the old clothes and put on the new ones. Sometimes new clothes, there's something they do to new clothes, especially new, new slacks. There's kind of a finishing or a stiffness they have. I have a pair of shark skin pants in my closet I don't wear very often. But whenever I put them on, they have a new crisp, crispness to them that's irrepeatable. It can't be gotten any other way that I know of. And when I put them on, the seams are so crisp, and they're just, they're just, the pleats are perfect. Of course, pleats are out right now, right? So uh, <laughs> we don't wear the pleats, <laughs> but we're waiting for them to come back. <laughs> and when the leisure suits come back, I got those too. <laughs> no, I don't have those. <laughs> I'm not quite that old. But we're excited to put on the new stuff. The new stuff. If it's something we picked out and we chose... But I can remember as a kid, my mom going shopping and bringing me back a new outfit. And my mom saying, I got you, got you a new outfit. And she would shake it out and say, here it is. And I would be repulsed by it. <sighs> my mom was a seamstress. She sewed stuff. And for some reason, she always thought piping was a good thing to add to pants. Right down the side, piping. <laughs> I had brown pants with black piping. I had blue pants with white piping. I had green pants with gold piping. What is wrong with this woman? As a kid, and and because she was making them herself, there were no zippers, no buttons, always elastic waistband. (laughs) It's not funny, Larry. (laughs) No belt loose for your belt, so you couldn't take your pocket knife to church. I mean, it was just... A big duh. And I did, was not excited about putting those things on at all. I was like, I don't want to put that on. And sometimes as, as, as Christians, God says put on the new life. We have to intentionally put it on. And we're like, well, I don't really like that. Because in my mind, I look dumb. And you guys, all, you guys were agreeing with that, weren't you? But whenever I would put on those little outfits that my mom would make for us with the little vest, I always had a vest. Probably a simplicity pattern 884 or something like that. You guys know about the simplicity pattern drawers? 
at Walmart, open them up, and uh, the big catalog. I'm traumatized. But when I would put on those little outfits, and we would go to now, and when you look back at family pictures, it, it does it does look kind of cute. Let's be honest. My mom was making these little outfits for me, outfits for me and my brother, and she would take a little picture of us. When we got to church, all the old grandmas would say, well, "Aren't you so cute?" So it was. <laughs> I didn't like it, but it was actually good. It was actually good. And sometimes as Christians, that's how we are. We think, well. This is what God says I should do, but there's something inside of us that rebels against it, that stiffens our neck and says, I don't want to do that. Well, it's not my, it wasn't, it's not, this, these things that Paul says in Ephesians here are not things my mom made up by a pattern to embarrass me. These are what God has said. God says, put on these things. If you want to be a good Christian, put on these things. And it begins with it, it's all internal. Take these attitudes and mindsets, take them in. So we have to have the right role model. This is how Christ lived on the earth. This is a description of the behavior of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 5, that last section, where it talks about Christ and the church, this is the role model. This is Christ. Now, in order to do this, you have to to focus your mind in the right place. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. You have to put your mind in the right place. <clears throat> I don't really have time to dive into these things, but I, do, I want to show them to you in Scripture, and you can read them on your own and work them out. Paul says to the Colossians, Since then you have been raised with Christ, you've been resurrected, you've been born again. NIV says, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. In verse 2 it says, Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you, will also, then, you will, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So because we've been resurrected with Christ, because our souls, our identities, positionally, because we are with Him in heaven, We should also put our affections in heaven. Remember what our Lord and Savior Jesus said? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where there is no moth, there is no rust, and there are no thieves. So we have to adjust our affections and live up. We have to love what's up there more than we love what's down here. This is, this is easier said than done. Because I'm going to tell you something, guys. There's probably no fishing in heaven. And there's probably no hunting in heaven. There's no basketball in heaven, first of all. But whatever is in heaven is good. And we have to love, and I say those things because we, we fall in love with this world. I was talking to Jehovah's Witness lady one time. I'd made friends with her, and she used to come and see me. And she said, she said, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to stay in Texas for all eternity. There's a lot of places I wouldn't mind being for all eternity. All eternity. Texas ain't one of them. <laughs> if you like different shades of brown, it might be okay. 
I don't want... This world can be so great, can't it? I mean, we live in a beautiful part of the country, don't we? Northern Michigan. Everybody wants to get up here, but we get to be here all the time. The trees are pretty. You got the big old lake over there, Lake Huron. I mean, it is so... I, I like going down there to the city beach, you know, and just looking at it. And I found a little path to the seawall. I've been going out on the seawall sometimes. I drop the kids off of school, go there, walk out on the seawall. Look at the water, look at the birds, hear the waves. It's so, it's so beautiful. Go down there by the dam and, you know, see the water. It's just, it's just everything's so beautiful. It's easy to love this world, isn't it? It's easy to love this world and the things in it. It's easy to love. We, we have to intentionally put our affections up there. This is difficult for us as Americans because our lives are so wonderful. So wonderful. But if we were in the Ukraine or in some other country where you could always be attacked by someone, it'd be different. We're at ease in Zion, you might say. We have to set our hearts and minds, focus upward. We have to focus upward. Set our affections there. Try to want that reality to be our reality. This is where our true connection is. Paul says in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. Now let's talk about focused living just for a couple minutes. And you can take these things as you want. Verses 18, 19, and 20. Same chapter, Colossians 3, 18, 19, 20. And the last part, the last bit there. All the way through 4 1, basically. This is what God says. Now, there's more, God says more about these things in other places in the New Testament. Titus, 1 Peter, Ephesians. But this is just a brief, a brief shot at some of the things that need to be done. If our minds have been lifted up, if we are, verse 5, put into death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, and we're going to be as God's people, verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, here are some foundational things, some things that we should do in, different, in the different roles we have. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I'm glad it says as is fitting in the Lord because there could be husbands who want their wives to do things that are not fitting in the Lord. This is, this is the great fear of Christian women sometimes is if I submit to my husband, he's going to make me do bad things. Well, if he wants you to do things that are against Scripture, you don't have to obey him. But if it's, if it's in accordance with Scripture, go along. Go along. This is, now, I want you to notice, friends, especially sisters, the word here is submission, not subjugation. It's something, that, it's something that you have the power to do, and only you can do it. It's a submission. Submission of your spirit and self to your husband. Well, why should you do that? God says you should do it. What if my husband's an idiot? Hey, join the club. <laughs> Valerie's married to the biggest idiot I know. <laughs> I drug her all the way to Michigan. <laughs> Submit to your, as is fitting in the Lord. And so if you really love Jesus, well, this is something you'll, you'll, you should work on. Now verse 19, husbands, this is so striking to me. Husbands, love your wives. And I think the last section should be just cut out, don't you? 
(laughs) Do not be harsh with them. Oh, this is so difficult, isn't it? As a man, it's it's difficult. Your husband may be the sweetest thing in the world, but I assure you that this is not easy for me. Don't be, love your wife. What does it mean to love her? 1 Corinthians 13, right? That's what love is. And don't be harsh. Don't be cruel. Don't be mean. Don't be nasty. Be nice. Doesn't mean you can't be firm or be in charge. Don't be harsh. When are we the most harsh with our wives? When we're frustrated, annoyed, in pain, sleepy. This, these are our objectives here. And then children. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children should obey their parents. They should just do what they're told without a lot of lip. It doesn't mean that, that children cannot ask questions, because as our kids have gotten older, if the question, they've, that, they've wanted more, more questions. Like, why should we do that? Why are you telling me to do this? Because when, 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 you, when you teach kids, you have kids in the home, you're, you're telling, you lay down the law to them all the time. It's everything's, pretty, everything's pretty black and white. But as the kids grow up, they see that you, mom and dad, you don't really live in a black and white world. You kind of have a world that's sometimes black and white and sometimes gray. And they'll call you on it. You say, don't listen to that kind of music, kid. Then they hear you listening to... Who should we say? Now that's, that's meddling. <laughs> and your kids point out to you, well, Dad, I was, me, and, me and Leslie were listening to a song one day in the car, and man, I was, just, I was just singing away, you know. And then she was singing along with me. And I thought, oh, man, she doesn't know what she's really saying. Change the channel. <laughs> So, you, so kids should obey their parents. Sometimes kids will ask why. Think about answering the why questions. This is, this is why we're doing this thing. <laughs> I was waiting to see if that was from heaven or from below. <laughs> then, verse, then you have this, this focused living, right? And then you have fathers again, back to the men. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is these, these inconsistencies we can have. Everybody has inconsistencies, but we have to think about how not to do these things. Discourage our children by expecting too much, by no praise. There's, 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 just, there's a lot of things you could talk about there. And this last bit, slaves and masters, if it's marked in your Bible that way. We don't have slavery in the United States we don't really live in a, there is slavery in other parts of the world, but this, this, I've always taken this passage here and adjusted it, I've contextualized it by saying this probably could be thought about through the, the employer-employee mindset. What kind of employee should you be? And what kind of boss should you be? I'll give you the reading and then we'll put an amen to it. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in, in everything. Do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. So there's the worker part, the employee side of it, and then there's the masters, supervisors, business owners. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. These are four things that can help us in our houses we live in. Let's, let's have a prayer together.